Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach spiritual formation and systematic theology for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amy Peeler. Amy Peeler is a New Testament scholar and a specialist in the Epistle of Hebrews and a very creative biblical theologian who teaches at Wheaton College. She has a number of books out, mostly on Hebrews, as well as a book coming out soon on the mother of God, on Mary, the mother of our Lord. And she's a, a relatively regular guest. She's new, but uh, but she's been on quite a few times this year and love to have her on the show so regularly. Very appreciative to her. Our text this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening... If you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to share this show with others so that they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amy. Let's jump in. All right. Would you be willing to read the passage, Amy? Glad to do so. Go for it. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 15. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something, now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that your abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Your grace manifest in him that the generosity of your being, the generosity of your act has moved towards us and that that very gracious generosity is generative, a generative generosity, um, pulling us, summoning us to lives of grace, lives of generosity for one another. So Lord, I ask for a fresh act of your generosity that you would generously pour out your spirit afresh again on Amy and I and all those listening in that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, we would be equipped to hear the Word of God and to hand on the Word of God to the sheep that you've entrusted to us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Amy, when you and I were scheduling out this time and I gave you some options and you selected chapter eight, I was delighted because this is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, yes. believe it or not. It's, it's to a lot of people, it's, it's a sort of obscure passage that they don't spend time on, but I, I just think it's so cool. And to get to talk to you about it 
is just a delight. There's so many plays on words and fascinating little rhetorical tricks. And I just, and it has like one of my, I mean, verse nine is like one of my favorite verses Mm -hmm. in the Bible. So I don't know. I just, I just am really excited. I don't have like an agenda other than just like, Hey, I can't wait to hear. I don't think you and I've ever discussed this particular chapter. So I'm just stoked to hear your take on it. So what are you noticing? What observations do you have? What thoughts do you have as we're getting started today? I'm glad to share, but that makes me excited to hear about all the things you love in this chapter. So I I hope that there's space for that as well. I don't know if this is true for you, but my mind as I read this chapter always goes to my colleague at PTS, Jacob Cherian. I don't know if you remember Jacob. I do remember Uh, Jacob. And he wrote his dissertation on this. This was his topic. And he did some work on economics and he focused on the exchange of Christ and how that might play out. And so uh, he is a person that I remember loving this text and then really seeking to live it out in a very practical way in his own context, which is in India. Uh, And I think he's done that. I've done a bit of searching on him before, and he continues to speak on this passage and write on it. So that's where my mind always goes, that this is one of the passages of that great exchange, right? He became what we are so that we might become what he is in line with Philippians 2 that you and I have already discussed a few times, uh, but that it comes at a very practical point. What do you do with your funds? What do you do with your resources? So the the unification of a really powerful Christology and then just day-to-day living, that's one reason I love this passage is that it puts those things together so so beautifully. Yeah, it's a classic case of Paul. We, we think often of Paul as this, this great theological mind, and he was, but often his deepest sort of doctrinal insights are actually just little, they're little one-liners right. in the context of, you know, rhetorical engagement mm-hmm. with churches. I mean, he's basically, this is a missionary support letter in a way, or, or a fundraising letter. It's a fundraising letter, right? He's trying to get them to give money, not to him, but to uh, the poor back in Jerusalem. I presume this is connected to that collection that's yes. referenced in Acts. That's the standard take, but that's one part of what I love about it is to imagine if our own fundraising was even a tenth as theological mm-hmm. as Paul's, would, wouldn't yeah. that just be awesome? But this little, just the, we get these little glimpses of his sense of mm-hmm. the story of Jesus Christ that yeah. he's telling here. And there's so many ways. I mean, you could take that line, verse nine, and put it as a caption under so many scenes yeah. in the life, death, and and resurrection of Christ. It's not, it, it, it's not kind of rigidly attached to one event. Right. Uh, in a sense, it describes the whole. So it's, it's very, this is a very powerful, powerful picture. I'm, gra- I'm glad you brought up Jacob. I haven't thought about Jacob in a long time. He, we all lived in the, he lived upstairs in Roberts. So yeah, sorry for the nostalgia listeners, but we're, <laughs> But, but we all I, lived in the same married housing back in the right. day, you know. I will often mention him and point my students in his direction, both because he's reflected on this passage deeply. And as I mentioned, he's living it out in, in a context that yeah. is very different than America. So as I encourage my students to listen to more global voices of Christians who have different experiences, this is always a place that I lift up his work. So maybe your listeners would want to go seek out his work as well. That could be of great yeah. benefit, I think. Yeah, but it is nostalgia too. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That's not why I was getting nostalgic. You're just being a good professional uh, scholar, Amy, and giving credit where credit's due. So some of the words here are are interesting. What what version were you reading from today? I was reading from the NRSV. Okay. So, I mean, we could talk about a bunch of things, but I noticed uh, your version, this language of Excel, I think you yeah. is the translation. Yeah. Which is that so that's this, word for abounding, parasuo. Um, yeah, and, and abounding is yeah. sounds kind of Bible-y, so I mean, that's I can true. see why that's they <laughs> why they went a different way. But it, it does seem to, because it recurs a number of times throughout yeah. the passage, because it starts out with this reference to abounding. They're abounding in all of these other gifts of grace. Right. Now I want you to abound in this grace of 
grace, generosity. Yeah. You know, and then, was- and then the abounding that comes in at the end then is referencing, you know, we're, this is for your abundance. This is for your right. abounding. We're not, we're not trying to take stuff away from you right. just to make right. you poor. It's to enter into an exchange where we're making each other rich in grace yeah. through this sharing. Um, I was, I was wondering, it sounded like, you, do you have some thoughts on that term? It's a strange term. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to. Well, maybe, maybe I can think about the term in a moment, but what struck me at the beginning is that it reminded me a bit of Philemon in that Paul starts by saying, uh, Philemon, I want to praise you for the way that you have fellowship. (laughs) I want to praise you for the way that uh, you refresh the hearts of the saints. And I don't, I, I mean, I think that can be read in a manipulative way, and I don't think that is necessary. I do think as a good pastor, Paul is saying, I see virtue in you. I see value. And so he says to the Corinthians, you have an excess. You are abounding in particular things. Now, knowing that that's true of you in other areas, I want you to apply the same skill set to this area. So it's, it is buttering them up in some way. But I also think that's like wise mentorship, right? I see something in you. Let me help you move that to another space of your life. So it just struck me as rhetorically kind of similar, starting with the positive and then saying, let's build upon that positive. Yeah. I like to say that uh, manipulation is just uh, leadership that we don't appreciate, right? So it's like, I mean, like, I mean, what is leadership? It's manipulating, right? Uh, But like, the question is whether it's, it's, I mean, it isn't just that. I know there is a distinction, but I mean, yeah, he is engaging in, in, like you say, buttering them up, but, but it's genuine. It's not a, it's not pure flattery, right? Cause it's right. not false. He does right. see good in them yeah, and he's appealing to the good and saying, Hey, let's, let's leverage the strengths you do have mm-hmm. as you grow in this other weakness uh, or this place where you're lacking. And it does strike me too that, I mean, the Corinthians have had so many troubles with him. So by the time we get to second Corinthians, I think he really can say in genuineness, they have shown faith. They have corrected some things about their speech, about how they loved knowledge. So they have matured in these things. That'd be a, that would be a fun study to actually see the ways in which they have grown from first to second Corinthians in these particular things. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point to see this as a, the next step in a, mm-hmm. in a development. Mm-hmm. And you could even do that. You could ask, you could see a kind of, there's a spiritual formation journey over the course of first mm-hmm. and second Corinthians, right? Uh, not in a kind of rigid doctrinal ordo salutis, but in more of a, here's a sequence that one particular community went through. You know, right, they, they, here's right. the foundation that was laid. You can you can infer that from what Paul references. Mm-hmm. Here's things they had to learn. Here's some places where they had to grow. And then here's kind of this is like this next level. This is like advanced stuff. Now right. it's time to move out because so much of what's going on in First Corinthians is very internal communal yeah. junk that needs to get yeah. sorted out. Mm-hmm. And there's almost it's almost implied in this chapter as you mentioned, right out of the gate in verse seven. Okay. Now that a lot of that internal stuff is sort of working, I want you to now become aware of the global church that you're a part of and actually care about other people. Mm -hmm. Um, As he goes on in this passage, or he's already referenced them earlier and he'll come back to it, the referencing the Macedonians and kind of playing on their uh, sort of ethnic pride to kind of say, Hey, well, we don't want to be outdone by the Macedonians, you know? Uh, But again, it's a, it's a, rhetorical move, but it's also a rhetorical move that is operating out of a kind of global ecclesiology. You're a part of something larger yeah. you know, that you've benefited from without even realizing it because you're so caught up in your own insular issues right. that he's helped them work through a little bit. Now yeah. it's time to start thinking about Christians elsewhere right. um, and what needs they might have. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of it as a kind of progression it's easy for me because we have such an image of the Corinthians as so kind of messed up right. and so toxic from first, <laughs> first Corinthians that it's easy for me to forget that to narrate them as progressing, as growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But they've, they've learned particularly this last 
phrase really strikes me in our, you excel in our love for you. Um, that that's kind Ooh. of interesting in, in, in our love for you. Wow. That's, that's just, I might've imagined him to say, you've really excelled in your love for us because right. <laughs> there has been, there has been a, a reconnection after, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't support Paul and then uh, he writes them the tearful letter and now they, they have shown that they're repentant. So I would imagine him to say, hey, you've grown in your love for us. But he says instead, in our love for you, that to me, even that phrase sounds like he's preparing yes. the way for, hey, if you're going to reach out, it's only because God has reached out to you first. And I want to demonstrate like we still are excelling in our love for you. I, I don't know. I hadn't really paid attention to that phrase, but that is strange. You know, my brain almost just switched it. Like, but you're right to excel in their love. It it reminds me of the phrasing that's in the Johannine literature as well as in Philippians Mm. that make my joy complete. Yeah. Right. This idea of like taking the light in, in your community that you shepherd. Yeah. It's like, wow, I just, I just love you guys more than I used to. Yeah. Uh, But since you know me and you know that what I love is you know, faith and knowledge and earnestness and generosity. These are the things I love. So if we're loving you more, it's because you've grown in virtue. It's not just personal favoritism, I'm right. guessing, would be right. the That's logic right. behind that claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that su- the way that abounding uh, mm-hmm. parasuo, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Which, so there's there's this one way to translate that is you know, superfluidity, right? It's over, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's flowing over, overflowing, right? right? Yeah. It sounds really cool in German, überflussen, right? Like yeah. <laughs> flowing over. But then we have this term in English, superfluous. Mm-hmm. And that we, it, in modern English, it tends to be used as kind of, you know, not important, superfluous, just ec- yes. extra excess. Uh-huh. But it, it, it can have this more positive sense that yeah. I think is part of the whole logic of this argument. Yeah. Let me test this yeah. with you. Like, because he immediately goes on to say, I'm not giving you a command, right? Well, what's a command? A command is is a necessity. It's a moral yeah. necessity. He's like, I'm not trying to bind you, bind your conscience by a moral necessity. Although he's kind of hinting like, I could, right? but I'm not gonna. (laughs) Just like Philemon, right? He uses the same exactly in Philemon. I'm not giving you a command. I want you to do this willingly. There's a lot of rhetorical parallels. As a superfluous, because again, that makes it sound optional. Mm -hmm. It's this optional above and beyond. Yeah. And yet the whole logic of the passage is to say, guess what? Grace is by nature superfluous. Mm -hmm. It's, it's this excess that is not owed to us. Right. And so actually in some, he's, he's playing a little, at least the theological game. I don't like that word. It sounds dismissive, but I'm going to call it game because he is playing a little game here. The (laughs) the little, the little play. How about that? The play on words in, at, at both a theological and practical level is, Yes, this is a superfluous above and beyond. Yeah, yes. sort of thing. Uh-huh. But it's precisely according to the nature of the thing that you're a part of. Exactly. And so in another sense it's not even remotely optional. It it's what it means to be yes. who you are. Does no, that re- does that correct. fit the logic or am I reading too much sort of Augustinian no. theology into this message? No. No, I think that's exactly right. He wants this to be genuine, right? I mean, that's so much a good insight yeah. into Christian ethics. We do things, we respond to the Lord, not because we have to earn God's favor, but because we've already been granted it. And it, it is that responsiveness of relationship. But if you're actually in the relationship, these are the kind of things you want to do. No, so I think you're spot on. Yeah, so he wants it to be willing, genuine, was another term that gets used yeah. that it's even profitable for them that they can actually see that this is actually for their good. Yes. Uh, for going on to perfection to so the nary nature of the case. Cause this is how grace works, which yeah. I, I thought it was interesting for the NRSV to, to choose to translate the word charis mm-hmm. as generous and generosity, which is totally accurate. Although it, it can also lead to us as readers to miss 
that right. actually this is part of, this is what the word grace means. Actually, this is the more normal use of the language of grace. Okay. This is mm-hmm. the, the religious meaning of that term is the more uh, extended yes. sense. This is a very natural everyday use of the language of grace as giving oh. from one to another. Right. Yeah, that is an interesting choice. Well, it's it's one of those ways in which sometimes highly theological terms that have become kind of defined in their own way in church speak, it's sometimes helpful to put them in different ways to kind of get our attention. And I think that's Absolutely. Well, yeah. It's just, it makes me want to translate Karis as generosity in the entire book then of Second right. Corinthians, oh, right? To kind of see, so... Yeah. So yeah, I don't object to the translation as much as uh, it's unfortunate to only do it here right. uh, because then we might miss the connection because mm-hmm. he, of course, uses the word charis all throughout his writings. Exactly. Yeah. So what if it's, you know, Paul, the apostle, generosity and peace to you, right. you know, and, right. huh. you know, may the generosity of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You're right. To start to see all of a sudden we're like, oh, that's what grace means. Oh yeah. Cause you're right. It's become this kind of wooden religious term. Right. When it's not a religious term, it's an economic term. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's normal use is. This is its more normal use right here in front of us. And it, that that is on my summer reading, Barclay's Paul and the Gift, which I have scanned various parts, but I've never sat down and read. Um, but that really has become one of the most talked about books in New Testament studies to try to get us to yes. the heart of this con- context. So if your listeners haven't read it fully, like oh, I haven't man. yet, now may be the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, for those who are not familiar with the original languages or studied them years ago and are getting back into them because of the pod, it, the word for gift is just charisma, right? It's, it's a gifting. It's a, it's has the same root as the root for, for grace. Yeah. So these are all connected concepts. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore this some more. It sounds good. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, my guest, Amy Peeler, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. And we can zoom out a little more into the whole passage and whole book if we want. We can really do whatever we like here. But uh, let me just read the passage to get it in our ears again. This is uh, ESV I happen to have handy. Don't love the history behind the translation of the SV, but it's really good. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always a bummer when you're like, <laughs> you can find, find good and all. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of an agenda, but every translation does, and it's a pretty yeah. solid one. Okay. So this is uh second Corinthians eight, starting verse seven. So, but as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, 
and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So ESV went for fairness. Mm-hmm. NRSV, what did it do? It went fair balance. Fair balance. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, the NIV does equality. Ah, okay. Well, now I just want to compare them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think about this word? I, I think it's really important, be- especially because I don't know about you, but this isn't usually how the language of equality is used in a modern setting. So it's a fun, what do you think of his notion of equality here? Yeah. And it is getting at, I think this is one of those places that the Greek is fun. Isotetas, isotas. So an isosceles triangle. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't catch that. Good eye. It's, it's the, it really is like the sides are equal. (laughs) Like, um, Ooh, so, and what's fun is it's not an equilateral triangle, right? Where all right. sides just because there is a kind of superfluidity. There's no equality between God and us. Precisely. Or maybe an equality right. between. I mean, I'm maybe doing too much with the right. triangle there, but boy, <laughs> there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Observation, exactly. Amy. That's awesome. I missed that. So again, it comes from this place of a heart of willingness. Um, when I teach this passage, I use it as a springboard to talk about uh, what do we do with our money? And we usually have a conversation of, you know, what are the instructions for how we tithe? Is this the same as tithing in the Old Testament? And it really isn't, of course, as as your listeners will know, there's no number, there's no percentage given. It's what you have. It's what you willingly give. And I, I appreciate that this sense of equality is because I think there might be a temptation in Christianity toward a bit of a martyrdom complex, um, uh, right? Like I'm going to give. Huh, yeah, that's not this. This isn't sacrificial giving. Yeah. No, not. So in not. In, yeah. Strictly. <laughs> strictly. So he's not saying, I want you to send everything to Jerusalem so that then you're starving. And then they're going to have to say, I mean, that's just not practical because then the money is just going to be going back and forth or the resources going back and forth. Um, but yet, and I think at least this is true for me, and this may be true for other listeners who really have most of their needs met. I think we live in a place of having so much abundance most of the time. And so we might think that an equal giving, it might feel a little painful to us because we've become used to some creature comforts that aren't really necessary. I don't know. I just had a friend visit last week from Ethiopia and we just drove him down our kind of main road. And he was just saying, wow, there's so many places to get food and you can pull over. And we got him some a chicken dinner and pulled over. And he's like, that you can drive through, that you have electricity. And it's not that I don't know those things, but I don't think about them on a regular basis until I'm with someone that doesn't have those things. Now, I can't send my fast food restaurants to Ethiopia, but it is a reminder that, yeah, the, the, no martyrdom complex is being asked for here. But I think more often than not, at least myself and people that I'm around, this text is asking us to look pretty intensely on what really is abundance that we could probably share. Yeah. And this is where that language of superfluidity is really helpful, right? To mm-hmm. say, you know, what is my abundance? What is my excess? I think is a yeah. Yes. What is my superfluous, right? So you, you get both senses of superfluous. So mm-hmm. God's grace to us is superfluous, meaning mm-hmm. he willed to share with us what was not owed us. And then our superfluidity, what's superfluous in us? Do we have more than we need? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then how does my, by releasing that and offering it to those who may need it more or do need it more, do I then experience a third kind of superfluousness, right? A kind of this excess of grace I get to, because I actually end up receiving by giving, right? Yeah. It's, oh, totally. you know, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And therefore God is most blessed of all because yeah. God <laughs> only gives and has nothing to receive. But I'm struck here too by this language in, in verse 13 of, um, well, the Greek here is thlipsis. Uh, the NRSV is translated yes. as um, pressure. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you. It's a question of fair balance. And then he's talking about like eagerness, uh, that mm-hmm. this should be something that they, 
that they want to do. Uh, there's a desire to do it, prothumia. What do you think about the idea? I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this pastorally, theologically, that when we're giving as God wants us to be giving, that there really is a deep joy and peace in that. Not to say that, you know, there might be some sense of being a little bit of uncomfortable, especially at the beginning. Can I really give in that way? I don't know. But like, once you step into what God is actually asking you to do, there's really, there's not flipsis, there's not tribulation in it. It's, it's a joyful kind of giving. Do you think that resonates? Do you think that's true? Yeah, I, I appreciate your just psychological insight to say that there's always an initial uh, flipsis in, in all change. Just because, just to do something new and different hard, even if it's right. good for you, right? right? So it's kind of, it's like, it's the, it's the one month rule. If you've done something for a month and you still hate it, okay, maybe it's not a good fit, right? Then you, then you discuss, okay, are there, is, is this something I still desire, but it's just, I have some blockage um, or maybe it's not a good fit for me. I'm not talking about this, but you know this from being a runner, Amy, that mm, like, right. like, when you're like, if you've been out of practice running, right, you get back, you hate, it's just awful. It's thipsis, right? It's it tribulation. Yeah. But then when you, when the habit, you know, it's the 28 day rule or the one month yeah. rule, a habit takes about a month. So you got to get something. So I do this with, I make this recommendation with lots of spiritual practices. Okay. Where I just say, try it for a month and see if it fits. You know, I always, because so many times. I'm in, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking it's totally going to fit. Like it, this fits okay. everybody. I know this one, does. Okay. but I, but why say it that way? Why not say, try it, you know, okay. because if you start checking how you feel about something a week or two into something, mm. well, you're probably going to hate it because it's new. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Right. Uh, and so, so change brings its own comfort because this is a stretching he's inviting that you know because he's using abundance in this double sense of that's why the nrsv in the first two instances translates it as excellence implying a kind of virtue right then uses the language of i think abundance and abounding at the end right again that my my beef isn't with nrsv being clever and using a irregular word it's it's not being clever enough to stay with it right Uh because i think it still uses grace in verse nine right the nrsv did it use grace in verse nine? Uh, no, then it, there it says generous act. Good, good. So they at least they have the guts to stay with the generosity yeah. language. So that one, they were more consistent on that one. That's a fair translation. I'm not saying it's an error because he is doing a double meaning here. He's yeah. saying you have excellence, you have virtue, you have a good habit mm-hmm. when it comes to word and knowledge and mm-hmm. faith and, and earnestness. But you don't have a good habit of virtue when it comes to giving generously right. to your brothers and sisters that are separated from you in other in other yeah. cities. So there is that double sense. But then he's also appealing to their economic abundance. Right. Uh, so he's he's playing he's playing with the words there. Yeah. Um, to make the point. I wanted to come back based on that statement to verse 11, and then maybe we can return to my question about, is there, is there a joy when you're in the right space of giving? Oh yeah. Um, I didn't really answer your question. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. But I think that was a helpful prep for it. But I just wanted to note because every time we've read it, it really has leapt out to me. Verse 11, uh, your eagerness must be matched by completing it according to your means. I mean, you said, you know, this is like a, a sponsorship letter. I think there's so many people out there that have a warm heartedness toward giving, right? Oh, yes, I'd love to support. Like how many times do we say, oh, I would love to support your ministry. And verse 11 just seems very real to me. Okay. I'm so glad you desire to help them. Now it's time to follow through. Like you can't like that. There's a certain amount of perfecting that needs to happen. Uh, And that's, I mean, he uses the perfecting word there, uh, teleao, there's, there's epiteleo, there's a form of that. 
it really resonates with me. This is very Christological from Hebrews, but I think this is why you have language mm. of affection for Christ in Hebrews. Christ says, I have come to do your will. Like he comes, he has, he has to actually life, do it. But he actually has to offer himself <laughs> or else it's not done. It's not completed. So too with the Corinthians. And it's a free act because there's a readiness and a willingness. Yeah. That's what renders exactly. it free. Exactly. And so he doesn't want to simply command them that they have to do this. Right. right. Because that would, that would bring the doing but without the willing of it. That's well said. So that would also be incomplete or imperfect in the, in the, in the classical sense of the language of perfection. Right. Um, But then what does the epi do to that word, by the way, epi to leo? Does that, or is that just a minor variation that I shouldn't obsess about, but. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's not a radical different. I mean, there's some sort of emphasis, but I mean, looking at how it's used here, I can't, I don't know why you couldn't also just use teleo. Yeah, it just Um, jumped out at me and, you know, when I have a pro at hand, you know. David Peterson's Hebrews and Perfection would tell you everything you want to know about the telos word group. Uh, Hebrews uses it twice. And just, I'm doing a quick uh, speed word study here. I've got 10 uses in the New Testament and almost all of them, oh yeah, all but maybe like two tend to, are in the context of of completing a task or a a, a project or building something. Yeah. So that which fits, you know, you put the last block on and you're done, right? Like think of kids stacking blocks and making, and then you put the capstone in, boom. Yes. So then that would be epi upon. I put the thing upon and now I'm done. Yes. That's not that's not actual like proper right. word study. That's just an image to remember it. <laughs> yes. I always say the etymological fallacy is a fallacy for interpretation, but it's really helpful as a mnemonic device to remember the meaning <laughs> <Exactly>. of word. <laughs> but then I'm noticing here in verse 11, he comes back to so complete it act to again from that which you have like yes, within your yes. being. so i do think that gets to my my question about when mm. we really are giving kind of at the target zone of what god is asking us not too little just like the verse ends from Exodus, not too little. We're not giving too little so that, you know, it's flippant. I throw my buck in because that doesn't make any difference to me. And not too much where I am kind of like trying to earn God's favor, be a martyr. But I'm when I'm giving in that target zone from what I have, that's, I think that's a place where we then, after that period of maybe about a month or the initial <laughs> discomfort, we get to a place where that kind of giving is not tribulation. Um, I guess I just see that in people's lives. I, I see that God yeah. calls people to different levels of giving or maybe giving in different ways. I'm not really thinking here strictly of economics, like somebody gives 50%, someone gives 10. I'm really thinking about particular giftedness. Um, we just hosted a, a session at our church on foster care and a, an organization called Safe Families. And some people are meant to take children into their home. And that's mm-hmm. a huge ministry. But those that do it, that are really called to it, that is a joy for them. And then some people are called to buy the diapers for the babies that are coming into the house. And that mm-hmm. too is a good ministry. And those who do that have joy. So it was a beautiful reminder to me that really is in alignment with this passage that God does ask particular people to give in particular ways and has equipped you to do so by virtue of the grace that's poured into your life. It yeah, doesn't have to, to look means, the same as everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as he says uh, later, you know, has that great line, God loves a cheerful giver. Right. right? So there is this uh, and it's hilaritas too, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah. God loves a hilarious giver. But I think that's related is I think Paul in his own ministry as a apostle and pastor Mm -hmm. and church planner and letter writer is knowing that to expect from them what is unsustainable will not actually last, right? If they're going to put themselves in a position that's not going to last, then they're going to give up on it. And he's actually taking away from them the opportunity to be a cheerful giver. Mm -hmm. So I, I think... I think some of this is again maybe I'm maybe I lean towards the the more uh, cynical uh, interpreter today as we read this passage, but that's fun. I mean, he knows all you cynical in the positive sense of wise, right? Worldly yeah. wise, he just knows that 
the kind of cheerful giving that helps them grow as persons and actually is more sustainable and long lasting and will continue to give and not just mm-hmm. give once to, because right. if you just give, you can always give something away out of guilt. Mm-hmm. Then the guilt goes away. And then over time, when you're just trying to get the guilt feeling to go away, well, over time you can learn, Hey, guess what? I can make the guilt feeling go away without giving, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. by just ignoring the need, if the goal is to just get rid of that guilty feeling. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. by not doing that, by, by sort of saying, Hey, this is a way of life that is actually a joy for you Yes, because you start to have experienced things in a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll be stretched a little, but to make yourself a little bit more dependent on each other is actually good. It just deepens. Yeah your community and your ties with one another and keeps you attuned to the grace of God, uh, to the generosity of God. So I think there is also some rhetorical strategy here to say, this is not a give and then give and then give till it hurts message. This is why not try giving? Giving's actually really great. (laughs) Like that's the message, right? He's like, it's actually a whole way of life. Uh-huh. And of course, he already knows that there is such a thing. I mean, you want to talk about martyrdom complex. Paul's got a little one of those. Yeah. It's not yeah. that he thinks that that does that God might also. Right. I mean, you and I are uh, sort of Catholic and Orthodox friendly enough to sort yeah. of recognize the notion of saints. Maybe some are called mm-hmm. to a more sacrificial way of living. Right. right. That, that that does exist. So That's I don't think we have point. to rule that out. Right. But I think Paul is an embodiment of someone who's saying, okay, not everybody's called to live like at the extreme that I am, but he's already manifested in his own life that that's clearly something God might call you to, but I'm not going to make you go there. I'll meet you halfway and say, Hey, why not start caring for Christians other than just the ones in Corinth? Right. Like at at least do that. At least, at least step out of your own insular worldview a little bit. Yeah. I'm not saying you got to sell everything and go on the road like me. Right, right. But his his life is already embodying an example to say, well that that would maybe be like what everyone's called to do, but not, you know, not everybody. Yeah, but but then again, God didn't like appear to you from heaven on the way to it. You know, like I have a special calling, so I'm not going to put yeah. that I'm not going to bind your conscience with that. Right. Um, but you could at least have a little bit more of an apostolic worldview that sees these global Christians as all part of one community that care for each other. Yeah. Well, it makes me want to go back to the beginning of the letter because you've already called attention to the way that he puts forward the example of the Macedonian Christians. And interestingly there in verse two, he says, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their port. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means. Yes. So yes. they, um, but again, he's not saying to the Corinthians, you have to be exactly like them, mm-hmm. but it was out of their willingness that they wanted to participate in the ministry to the saints. So there is a recognition that there are different kinds of calls. Yeah. Paul's is incredibly radical. The Macedonians were giving beyond what they really could, but he is kind of asking them to start. I I think we should go back to that image of progression in faith, right? Corinthians are at the place that they've done a lot of growing up internally. And now it's to kind of to start to take these baby steps of being outwardly focused, but he doesn't, put them all the way at the end of that process. Yeah. Right. Just start. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It just dawned on me connected to that then is that back in chapter one, in terms of you mentioned the internal and now the more Mm -hmm. external global, the Mm -hmm. not chapter one in, in the first Corinthian letter Ah. in chapter 11 with the, the stuff around the supper and in some other parts of the letter, but especially there, clearly there were some inequality issues in the community. Yes. So I wonder if some of the lot, some of the the movement of not just this letter, but of the whole correspondence of their journey is as they've grown towards a more mm. egalitarian practice with yeah. each other. Okay, now guys recognize yeah. there's inequality between right. you and the Macedonians and between you, you know, and and the Jerusalem church. I just suddenly kind of saw more continuity there than I had seen before. Whether that's conscious in Paul's mind or not, there's at least some parallel. And then all of a sudden, verse nine works as this perfect caption Mm. 
mm. of the gospel message all over again. Because, yeah. you know, you could, I could see, you know, you could say verse nine right in the middle of Eucharist, right? Yeah. You could say, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that, you know, for your sakes, he became mm. poor, you know, even though he was rich so that you through his poverty might become rich in him, yeah. you know? That's good. Yeah. I mean, his, his, my, that's what it, another, another way of saying that is the body of Christ broken for you, right? Mm-hmm. He, he, he becomes flesh, you know, so that we or our flesh might share in his spirit. You know, there's this kind of exchange and we're being drawn into this great exchange. Yeah. Well, we should, I think we should uh, take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Amy Peeler, and we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 through 15. Let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you want to focus? What are some illustrations, mm-hmm. themes, focus? And just how do you trans how would you transition from here if you were mm-hmm. preaching on this text? I feel like we've already come up with so many helpful themes, this um, development of faith in the Corinthians, um, the concept of uh, willingness, um, and because we're willing, because we're in relationship with the Lord who gave everything for us. It just strikes me uh, that I'm also intrigued by the end verse, this this uh, appeal to the story in Exodus about the manna, that that could be kind of a fun entry point to start with this crazy bread that falls down and the people who hoard it, you know, it turns into disgusting with like worms and stuff. And the, But all the needs were met. That could be, I don't know, I'm just... It's just kind of a little, he moves on from there. He doesn't linger. But I think that could be a story that would be a fun way to start. And then that could give you so many points of connection with everything comes from God. And then, you know, the way in which you trust that God will give you enough so that you don't kind of hoard it for yourself and you're willing to share with others. Uh, I don't know. If I, if I were sitting down to do it today, I might start with Exodus. That's literally where my mind was going. Seriously. Um, oh, that's fun. Partially... For two reasons. One is because the same thing that you pointed out, which is we just, we hadn't talked about it yet. Right. So um, that'll sometimes happen is I'll have, we'll do these fresh text episodes and we'll like geek out on all these things. And then I'll be like, yeah, but the sermon's really not about any of that stuff or that that's all there. It's all in the background, but here's Uh really where the passage where is Uh taking me. But the other reason though, is a little, a little rule I've learned from Mandy, my wife over the years and, and, and listeners have heard, Sarah Hinlicky and I reference this little rule is like, especially when you're in the epistles for a lot of listener, I mean, you know, folks like us, Amy and you, you and I, we love epistles. We love it. This is like our sweet spot. We love yeah. it. But for a lot of hearers, you really got to get into a kind of a narrative zone and there's multiple ways to do that. Right. One is one we've, most of this uh, conversation we've focused on kind of narrativizing the audience, right? right? Seeing seeing the Corinthians as going on a journey and then learning mm-hmm. from that. I think that's a great way in. But another way in is my is the is the Mandy Drury rule, which is find a cool story from the Old Testament yeah. that links to it, you okay. know. And then, yeah. but and that's less of an that's not a strategy of avoidance when it has some exegetical hook, mm-hmm. as it does in this case. Absolutely. Um, we just a week or two ago or maybe three, I, I, I record in a different order than they're right. released. Sorry, 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 listeners. Uh, but there was an episode with Sarah, uh, Sarah Henlicky Wilson, and, and there was uh, the phrase there of uh, looking on the face versus the, the heart. Ah. And, and we saw the connection to, you know, back in, in first Samuel. And, right. and so you can look for those, those little moments and then just run with them. Because often our uh, churches, even if we as preachers and persons have deep love of the Old Testament and study it deeply, our people often, they don't pick up these, what's to us are obvious illusions. They have no idea. They've never heard, they they may never even heard the man of story. Just tell it. It's an awesome story. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But then you've got this passage to connect it up with as a kind of, almost read this as commentary on as an application of the insights of that text. So I am completely with you. That would be, 
two ways in of narrating this passage is one is the one you already mentioned of really kind of tell the story of the Corinthians and how they're going to the next level. And then asking that for our church are, okay, we're getting our own house in order. Mm. We're paying attention to inequalities among us, but are we paying attention to inequalities uh, globally that we're a part of and perpetuating? Yeah. And then that's one way. And I think the second way would be the, to just go with that mana stuff. Cause it's just awesome. And the dangers yeah. of hoarding that I think Paul is hinting at here. Like yes. you guys don't just be a bunch of rich Christians in Corinth mm-hmm. who don't realize that you're a part of something else. Right. And I never would have made it there if the Philippians and Thessalonians hadn't supported my ministry, Right. that the gospel would have never got mm-hmm. up and running if it wasn't for the, that original community of yeah. Christians who are very poor back in Jerusalem. Yeah. We're actually dependent on them for God's grace, That's good. even though they're dependent on us for their daily bread, you yeah. know, yeah. but we wouldn't even be a part of this if it wasn't for them. Yeah. I still think that it could be possible uh, to also narratively connect to Philemon um, that we've mentioned several Ooh, yeah. connection. Uh, and even I'm struck by another one as you say that, because there Paul says, I don't even need to say to you that you owe me even your own self. So there are kind of circles of dependence um, that I think are really beautiful in the Christian church, right? That we all in some ways are dependent upon other believers in one form of another. And, and Paul names that for Philemon as well. Like I'm asking you to do something, but you know, you really owe me as well. We don't know exactly what that is, but especially if, if, if a preacher is wanting to make some global connections, I mean, Philemon is that place where you can get into those hard issues of slavery and that can catapult into a number of other topics that could be in, important. Yeah. So that's, and I, I would use this very practically to address giving in the church, like the actual financial giving, um, maybe because yeah. I'm an associate rector and not a rector. Um, sometimes I, I feel more comfort in doing that if it's in the passage, because I think my pastor, my rector feels the burden of like, you know, once a year, you kind of have to talk about stewardship, but because my pay is not like so directly connected to the church, I feel a freedom to say, Hey, there's some really practical advice here. You know, are you contributing? Do you trust that God is at work in this place? And do you want to contribute to it? I know that pastors who they're all by themselves, they have to do that work, whether they feel like it or not. Uh, But I think I would move in a pretty practical direction. I remember hearing a sermon on this from my previous associate who told the story of how she started giving with 1%. And that was hard. But once she did that for a while, then she increased to two. And that story has always stuck with me that God wasn't like mad at her because she wasn't up to 10% or whatever. He met her where she was and she learned the virtue of abundance. Um, so those kind of maybe even personal stories would be fitting. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. That's really good. Okay. I have one other, and, and these are always like angles that we're pitching mm-hmm. so they could all fit into right. to one sermon or you could run with just one of them. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it'd be, I'd like to find a term for the unique vision of equality mm. that is pictured here Mm -hmm. so there because this is talking about economics i can't help but think about the economic rhetoric of in the in the u.s at least there will be this back and forth between two terms one is equality of opportunity Mm. and then equality of outcome and these are often played off of each other Mm. right as a kind of well as long as we have equal opportunity it doesn't matter if some people end up richer than others And then there'll be challenges back the other direction to say, well, do we actually have equality of opportunity? Even that's quite hard to achieve. Yes. Um, So perhaps there's things we could do socially, communally, individually to counterweight some of the harsher realities of modern capitalism. So I wonder if because those are so like sort of like set opposite one another. Mm. Clearly, this is a different. This is not equality of opportunity vision, which is about independence, right? Everyone's an independent individual and they make their choices. And as long as the laws are fair, then that's not what Paul's talking about. But he's also not kind of trying to just say like, um, like you talked about the different means and different callings. He's not sort of saying, you know, uh, everybody has to have the exact same amount. Right. Um, 
Well, I'm trying to, I'm reaching for the phrase, the kind of equality this is. I wish I had like, I wish it's on the tip of my tongue. And I think you're going to help me find it, Amy, I think. But like, what kind of, what is this? Is this, I don't know, is it equality of grace or, Mm. or some, or equality of excess or some kind of um, the equality of abundance? I'm trying to find the, the term. It's just so interesting to have a different vision of equality because we talk a lot about equality and equity in our time. Totally. Um, and there, it's often, there's a sort of fundamental kind of like rigid kind of left, right yeah. set of options. And I'm wondering if, if some alternative vision of equality is emerging here. I don't know. How does that yeah. strike you? Yeah. Well, Again, I, I don't have the cool, I don't have the cool phrase yet. Cause you know, well, this is fresh text. This is, I'm, we're making it up as we go here. People. Exactly. And I don't know if this is it, but I, it makes me want to go back to the earlier part of the chapter where he talks about, there's a privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. So it's almost, Boom. it's yes. almost a, an equality of ministry, right? Like mm. uh, this is their opportunity to contribute to what God is is doing? I don't know if that's quite it. Equality. Of no, I see it though. There the fellowship a- of the service, and actually, even that word is interesting. Fellowship. Yeah. Partnership. Mm-hmm. You could translate it. Koinonia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, an equality, an equality of community, or mm-hmm. something like that, because it yeah. really is about. Uh, sharing in mm-hmm. an exchange of grace. That's yeah. the goal is that yeah. we're, that we would be caught up in this great exchange yeah. of grace. It's, uh, uh, that, that's a great phrase, exchange of grace. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's good. I mean, this is totally random and not helpful, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's just for kicks. So I was looking up different ways, different translations of the word equality here yeah. earlier, this was earlier and I just, there wasn't a good time to bring it up, but I'm gonna bring it up yeah. now here at the end as, as the clock's running out on us. Um, I mean, I've mentioned this to listeners before, but it's worth mentioning again. Like if you use the Bible app on your phone, the U version, if you click on any verse and then if you click on it, then it gives you some options at the bottom to highlight. But then one option is compare. And mm-hmm. if you press compare, and you, you can add translations, like it'll just show you 20 different ways that that's translated just right there at your fingertips. So you don't have to have all the original language geek out that Amy and I use. You can, you can actually learn a lot just comparing translations. Anyway, I have a couple non-English translations in here. I've got French, I've got French and Spanish and German in here. So here's the German for verse 14. Yeah. It uses Überfluss. So for superfluous or overflowing. Uh But the word for equality here is Ausgleich, hmm. Ausgleich, which is the word like for a compromise or a treaty. Oh, um, interesting. It, it could be translated trade-off. Like hmm. in economics, you'd call that a trade-off. We both huh. get, um, but it's a word for like a settlement, a law settlement yeah. where we kind of, okay, you get your part, you get my part. Yeah. So they're, again, like you know, German's not a magical language uh, any more than English or Greek or anything else. Hebrew, of course, is God's God's <laughs> language. So that's different. But but uh, these are just human languages. But that helped me see like, yeah, there's this, it's a back and forth. It's yeah. not about, yeah. it's not about, oh, the Corinthians are a little too rich and the Jerusalem's, Jerusalemites are poor. Let's equalize them so they have the mm-hmm. same stuff. Like Mm-mm. this passage is clearly not, giving that picture, it's saying, Hey, let's, you're actually already in an exchange. Yes. And I want you to lean into that exchange to uh, be aware of it and act accordingly. So how are you kind of giving back into this exchange? Right. It's going to continue. It's a kind of living exchange, right. An economy of grace. Which I think is the right kind of vision for giving, never that like we are the saviors who are helping those who are getting our monetary resources, but especially if we're in the body of Christ, they have things to teach us and we're just giving out of what we have to benefit them. It really is a circle rather than a handout. Um, And that could be applied to churches as well. I think it's more naturally, right? People contribute to the church 
pay the, you know, the salary of the pastor because they believe the pastor is really benefiting them spiritually. And with teaching, um, there is already an exchange going on there. It's not one party is clearly the superior in every way and is just so nice to help out the clear inferiors. There is actually a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Equality of exchange. So there's one last conceptual distinction, I guess, would be the extremes to avoid of a kind of independence. Mm. Everyone's out for themselves. The opposite extreme of a codependence, right. which is often what martyrdom yes. complexes are are hiding. Yes. And then with interdependence being the kind mm-hmm. of virtue between those extremes, right? I well, think seven. would be the language. So feel yeah. free to steal that, anyone who's listening in. Well, thanks so much. I know, I know you got to go and our time's up. Thank you so much, Amy. Appreciate your time and your insight. It's always so great to have you. Always good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks uh, to all our listeners out there for chiming in and getting the word out about the show, but especially our patron saints who support the show. Hopefully you feel this has been an economy, uh, an equality of exchange that you get something uh, beneficial out of the show when you support us financially. If you're interested in becoming a patron saint, go to patreon.com slash fresh text. I have a day job. I don't see any of that. That's for the production team behind the scenes. And with that, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. 